And that's Matthew chapter 12, starting from verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with his generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something is greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brother are standing outside, wanting to speak with you. He replied to them, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and his sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord.
Well, as we come to the end of the year, uh, we have, looking back uh, here at church, uh, been through a number of books, a number of topics. Uh, we began the year with looking at seven churches and the book of Revelation. Uh, we looked at the life of David and one or two Samuel, then we delved into eschatology and heaven and hell and end times. And then we finished off the year with Matthew's gospel. And today comes to the end. Now, I'm aware that in that passage, there are a lot of questions that are probably raised about spiritual uh, spiritual world, demons, and that kind of thing. Um, because it's a shorter sermon, I don't have time to go into it, but Josh interviewed Twanda Masango, who used to be with us when he was studying at Bible College from, from Zimbabwe, and asked him a whole bunch of questions about the spiritual world, particularly from the African perspective as a Christian. And so we're going to send that out uh, via YouTube this week, and so I'd encourage you to have a, read of that, uh, have a listen to that, rather, because there's some really helpful things that he has to say. But what I'm going to do is just really focus on those last five verses of chapter 12, they talk about family. And one of, the Christian, uh, Christian, one of the Christmas traditions that I love to do in the month of December is to watch Christmas movies. And uh, what I've been noticing, whether it's Elf or Home Alone or The Grinch or Die Hard, you know, the great Christmas movies, the enemy in all these films is not necessarily the one who doesn't believe in Santa, but the enemy is the one who doesn't value family. As one movie said, you know, Christmas is all about family. And then we come to Matthew 12, verse 46 to 50, and Jesus has a very surprising theology about family. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at three things that Jesus says, how he redefines family, how to become family, and how he creates a forever family. So let's start with redefining family. Have a look, grab your Bibles, page 838. We're going to have our nose in this five verses. Verse 46 says this, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd. Now remember, we've titled our series, what? The Voice of the King. And here, Jesus is still speaking. It's not waning. And notice the crowd are there by choice, right? This is not like a university graduation, right, where they're hearing the speech and like, come on, end already. You know, they are wanting more of Jesus. You know that person in your life that you could just listen to for ages? You're just captured by the world. That was the crowd as they listened to Jesus. They didn't want it to end because it made sense of the world, of their world. So he's still speaking. And as he does, notice it says, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Now Joseph, his dad, is probably dead by this point, right? Jesus went through the grief of burying his father. But his mum and his brothers arrived. And notice it says that they're wanting to speak to him. And it's not like a casual kind of like, Jesus, dinner's ready. Or Jesus, your birthday's coming up. What do you want for your birthday present? You know, it's not a casual kind of thing. There's a sense where they're coming with expectation. No, I'm his mum. I'm his brother. We have, we have a right to speak to Jesus. He's my son. He's my brother. And notice they're outside, right? They're going to go in. Jesus can come to us. There's an expectation there. I mean, who else has the right to interrupt one of Jesus' lessons. And you see that more in the next verse, 37. Someone told him, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting to speak to you. People are whispering in the crowd, his mum's here, his bros are here, and they're keen to talk. Now remember, this is a very traditional culture, right? Family was everything. It was a sense of belonging, of economic support, of livelihood. It showed 
you were to show loyalty and allegiance to them. I mean, I watched the trailer to the new Avatar film, and one of the lines is, family is our fortress, right? And that captures the traditional worldview. You know, if they're keen to talk, you drop everything and you go to them. If Jesus was a diligent son, he would say, sorry, crowd, my mother, my brother need me, right? And go. But have a look at the unusual question that Jesus asked. Verse 48, he said, who is my mother and my brother's? Thinking, is, is this the beginning for, of Alzheimer's for Jesus? I mean, had he forgotten? Who were my... But in this question, he begins to profoundly change the world as we know it. He is flipping a pillar of every culture on its head, and he does so with a point. Verse 49, pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. All through a gesture. This is my family. What? I mean, with his biological family standing there, he points to a group of people who have no DNA connection, no place in the family tree, no shared memories growing up, and said, this, this is my family. Pointing is such a powerful thing, isn't it? I mean, if I was... You know, I do this all the time in the courtyard. Sometimes your extended family come to church, and it's, it's such a joy to meet them, you know, parents, grandparents, children, you know, nieces, nephews. And what you'll do is introduce you, say, oh, this is my mum, you know, this is my nephew. This is, you know, and you'll point. We all point. This is a sense of ownership. Do you remember the old wallet with the photos, you know? Dad might have had a view as like a little kid in there, you know? That's where we point it. Now we just have a screen on our phone. But we sort of point these. We point, we point. These are my family. As Jesus points, he is pointing at John, Joanna, Mary Magdalene, Peter, and saying, this, these guys, they're my family. They're my true family. Now, here's a question. What do you think Mary's thinking and feeling at this point? What do you think his brothers are thinking at this point? I mean, how are you feeling? Because Jesus is saying when it comes to family, it's something, but it's not everything. When Jesus makes this distinction, he's saying family are important, but actually not as important that we might think. Now, we've got to be clear. Jesus ain't anti-family, right? He is very for caring for the needs of family. I mean, as a child, he submitted to his parents, Mary and Joe, in Luke 2. Just before he died, one of the last words he said was said to Peter, look after my mum. I care for her needs. Jesus was the perfect son. But Jesus is saying, my true family is not necessarily those who share the same last name or who raised me. And as Jesus redefines what family is, in doing so, it may expose something in us that may define us. Family is a good gift of God, but the danger is when we make it everything and we find our identity, our purpose, and meaning in it. It would have been hard for Mary and her brothers to hear this. It's hard for us to hear this. I mean, Kevin DeYoung made this comment, which I was hearing this week. He said, when it comes to our culture, we don't live in a patriarchy or matriarchy. We live in a kindergarten, right? Where life's all about children, right? Been so for the last 50 years. 
where we lay our down our lives for our children. We do everything for them. But when we love them in such a way, friends, that they are more important than God, we do them no favors. Jesus is saying family is important. But you need to have a purpose, a meaning that is far beyond your mum, your dad, your spouse, your children. And this is so important, particularly going into the Christmas season. To love our family well, our chief concern can't be, is everything perfect? But is God glorified? Our chief concern can't be, are my parents happy? No, no, no. Is my Father in heaven pleased? Our chief concern can't be identity in our children. No, no, no. It is our identity that we are a child of God. As Jesus redefines family, it may expose something that we have made to define us. And Jesus is saying, family works well when you don't expect it to give you all you need. There's something more. So there's the second thing. Becoming part of the family. How do you join? Because you notice when Jesus points, he's pointing to family, he's pointing to the disciples, not necessarily the crowd, right? He doesn't point to everyone, say your partner. No, he points to his disciples. So what's the difference? What's the difference between the disciples and the rest of the people there that Jesus was speaking to? Verse 50 is the answer. Have a look. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If you've got a Bible there, even if it's a church one, underline that word whoever, right? That is a great word. You know what that means? Anyone at all. Whoever. The way into God's family is open and wide. There are no restrictions on who's in and who's out. I mean, we are very particular about who's in our family, you know, who's in, who lives with us, that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know what age you get to, but you get to a certain age where some people are very interested in their ancestry and a family tree, right? So you get a subscription of Ancestry.com, and people go wild, right, mapping out who's who, who's who. If you have someone in your family who's like that, imagine going to them and be like, hey, I just want to add someone. Jeff, I met him on the street. Can we just add him into the family tree? They will go ballistic. Right? No, no, it's got to be perfect, right? When you get, you know, if you get married, I always say to married couples, or engaged couples, a wedding is a uniting of two people and the offending of many, right? Because it's amazing what happens with family dynamics when a wedding comes along, right? People go crazy. We've got to have this person. We can't invite, you know. Christmas lunch, people stress out. Some people are very protective. This is our family. We've got allocated seating of who sits who, where. Jesus is not like us. He ain't picky. Whoever, welcome. He'll take anyone. But you might be thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I've done, James. I have done things, seen things, acted upon things that not even my biological family know about. And I'm petrified that they'll find out. When Jesus says, whoever, he includes you. You maybe have hurt a lot of people, let people down, done things that are legal. Whoever includes you. You might be thinking, I'm not all that talented. I'm easily forgotten, not much to offer. I'm boring, I'm used. Whoever includes you. You might be sitting there just, I'm normal. 
normal job, normal gal, normal guy, whoever includes you. Heck, you might be a Manly Seagull supporter. Whoever includes you. Notice it doesn't say whoever is familiar with church. Whoever is a good person, whoever has a Christian in their life. As Spurgeon said, your qualification to come to Christ is your lack of qualification. And there's no greater example than Jesus' own mum. Jesus' own mum, Mary, did not automatically get into the new spiritual family by her, the fact that she gave birth to Jesus. If she didn't make it in using the family card, no other thing would work. But it's not completely conditionless because it doesn't just say whoever. What does it say? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. You're not just part of God's family by mere existence, but to do the Father's will. The question is, what's the Father's will? How do you know it? How do you do it? We can't know it unless we're told, yeah? This is the problem with children, right? Children assume that you know what they're thinking. They don't tell you. They just assume that you know that they're hungry, tired, or whatever, and then they chuck a tantrum, right? This is why it's so important to grow up, because you tell people what you're thinking. Or we should, right? It's a problem in most families, right? We just assume that you know what is going on in my head, right? No, we need to speak it. We need to share. When it comes to Jesus, God's will, it's here, right? He needs to reveal it, to share what his will is for us to know. And the problem is he's in heaven. We're down here. How do we know? This is why I jump over two chapters to Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. This is how we know what the Father's will is. Verse 27, all things, Jesus says, have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The way we know the Father's will is how? Through the Son. We couldn't possibly otherwise know. And so when you see Jesus, you're seeing the Father. When you listen to Jesus, you're listening to the Father. The two are one. Jesus perfectly reveals, passes on the Father's will. And what is it? Next verse, 28. We looked at this two weeks ago. Come to me, Jesus said, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, faith, come to Jesus. Take my yoke and obey him. The Father's will is that you would trust in his one and only Son and follow him. The Father's desire for you is to acknowledge his one and only Son and seek to obey. That and that alone is how you're in the family. I quite like automatic doors. You know those ones where you go to the shopping center? It's the closest I've ever come to being a superhero. We just feel like open, and it just does. But anyway, that's me. Uh, what I love about automatic doors is that what I've noticed is they open for anyone. They don't just open for those who are good-looking or those who are rich or those who are good people. They open for everyone. Open, shut. But there's one thing you need to do with an automatic door. And that is, walk towards it, and then it opens. When it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, whoever, come, rich or poor, good or bad, smart or dumb, beautiful, ugly. But you need 
to come to him. And if you come to him, he opens up. Welcome in. Welcome to the family. As John 6 says, it's on the screen, I believe. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, goes towards him and believes in him, shall have eternal life. That and that alone is the way to approach and enter God's family. You know, there were three types of people there in Matthew 12 on that day. There was the crowd. They did not do the will of the Father. They listened, they heard, but they kept Jesus at a distance. There was a biological family who thought they deserved to be part of God's family because of who they are. It didn't cut it. But then there was the disciples, those who came to Jesus in repentance and faith. I mean, Mary and his brother, Jesus' brother James, did actually become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not because of who they were, but it's who they followed. But you know, it's one thing for Jesus to say, you're my family. But how do we know it's just not a nice sentiment? Like a nice Christmas Hallmark card. Nice words, check it out the next week. How do we know that Jesus is serious? Here's the third thing, the forever family. I remember um, a lady, Merrin. Merrin, who came from another country, came to, this, um, it came to Sydney. And Merrin got connected with the family and, and that first Christmas was welcomed in. Experienced a lot of love and, and support and um, a provision of a whole bunch of things. But a couple of months after, almost a honeymoon period left, and she became forgotten by that family. They stopped invited her, stopped calling her. And sometimes we think that might be what it comes to in God's family. It's a good time at the beginning, but he might ignore me. Or worse, forget. We're coming to the end of Matthew 12, but it is not the end of Matthew's gospel. Because when Jesus points and says, you are part of my family, he is deadly serious about that. It ain't token. He ain't flippant. He ain't just a nice moment, a moment of flattery. He wants you to be part of his family, not just for a season, but forever. I mean, have a look on the screen. Galatians 4 beautifully sets this out of the lengths that Jesus has gone to to have you part of his family. It says there, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. That's Christmas, right? That Jesus came to be the perfect elder brother that none of us could be. And why did he come? Verse 5, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. See, what is the key about being part of any family is you share the same blood. When it comes to Jesus' new family, you've got to share the same blood, but it ain't ours. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who spilt his blood on that cross to unite us together, to wash away our sins, to forgive us, so that we can have a legitimate seat at God's family table, so that you can legitimately call one another brother and sister because you're united together, that we bear the family mark. We're adopted in. We ain't on the outside. You are in and really in. Jesus wants you to know when it comes to you being part of his family, he's adopted you in. And he ain't going to unadopt you. Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you ain't no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his children, God has made you also his heir. 
that the Spirit is sent into your heart. So you're not just our children, but the, the Spirit enables you to speak family talk. Like one thing, you call God what Jesus calls God. Dad. Daddy. Father. If you ever talk to anyone who's adopted a child, particularly the father, the first time they get called dad, it is a precious thing and is adopted into the family. We get to call the God of the universe dad. And that his spirit is in us, that we're not slaves, but we are strengthened. We want to behave like children who honor our father. You ain't just kind of in when it comes to God's family. You are in, adopted in, really in. So much so you bear his name and there is an inheritance coming. Your name's written on the will, so to speak. Jesus points. He points to you and says, I want you to be part of my family forever. You know, I had the realization the other day. I was just walking along the street and it had this moment where it just stopped. And I had this moment where I realized, you know, God likes me. I know that sounds weird, but at this moment, like, God actually likes me. I know God loves me, right? Sitting in Jesus. But he actually likes me. You know, when you like someone, how can you tell? You spend time with them. You want to enjoy their company. You want to be around them. And you know what's coming, friends? Heaven. And the way heaven is described, it's not like God's up there and we're down here. No, no. God dwells with us for all eternity. He wants to spend quality time with us for all eternity. So that tells me something. He likes us. He actually wants to be in our company for all eternity. God not only loves you, he actually likes you. And that may not be the case for the family of you that God's given you right now. You might love them but not necessarily like them. But the family that God has saved you into, he loves you and likes you. You know, friends, looking back on this year, it's just in this moment of affection. To be honest, personally, it's not been a great year. Um, I'm, I'm happy to see the end of 2022 go. Um, at the beginning of this year, um, I think Roz Hills, she said to me last year, she was praying that God would give her a word or a timely a verse and, you know, as going into the end. So I did the same thing. I said, God, going to 2022, I pray that you'd give me a word or what this year is going to be like. For her, I think it was like, courage. For me, you know what God said? Death. And I was like, what? For a whole, January 1st, I remember this overwhelming sense. I feel like I was saying, this is going to be a year of death. And I thought, okay, maybe it's a mistake. But January 2 and January 3, three days I felt this overwhelming sense that God was telling me, prepare yourself. Two weeks later, the goldfish died. I thought that was going to be the end of it. But it wasn't. As I look back in this year, it has been a profound year of grief where I've had parents go overseas, my sister to Melbourne. I've you know, buried my grandma and my brother-in-law last the other week. There's been goodbyes of staff members. And there has been a profound year of grief and loss. But looking, I'm looking forward to saying goodbye to this year. But what has kept me going is what has brought me life is this beautiful truth. And I'm part of God's family. What's kept me going is a number of you in this, our family here. Whether it's new members of our church family, Alejandro, Debbie, what joy you've brought us in coming to our family. 
members who've been to this church for many years, the Lloyds, the Israels, for Karen, for, you have brought such life to me in being part of this family. You have no idea. Now, has this been a perfect family? No. I found out this week that siblings clash three and a half times every hour. And the same is probably true of a church family, right? Are we annoying? Yes. Do we fight and hurt each other? Yes. That's why we need to forgive. Do we need to do better? Absolutely. But part of being part of this family, of God's family, is such a glorious thing. It's such a glorious and unique thing that God has brought whoever, us, to himself and to one another. And as I did three assemblies this week for my kids with the graduation of them with preschool and school, there was one boy who stood out to me. He was up on stage, and there he saw his family in the crowd, and he was so excited, this massive smile that he nudged the people to his left, look, 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 there they are, there they are, look, 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 and he waved. And there I saw the Lord Jesus, as it was like pointing almost to us, like pointing to you, to me. That's my family. Father, Spirit, that's my family. I love them. And one day I'm going to come back for them. And we will be together for all eternity. There's nothing better than that. Let me pray. Gracious Lord. You've given us so many good things. So many good things. Family, food, fun, festivities. But they do not come even remotely close to the goodness that you've shown in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you've brought about a new family. And it cost you everything to do that. But we are so thankful that you've brought us in. That by your spirit we can call God Father. And we are now children who want to live for you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. And we look forward to that great reunion that is coming. As we hug and kiss and embrace one another, where sin is a distant memory and death is gone. And there is life, life together as one big, true, perfect, happy family.